All right. Hey, um, we have some special friends with us this morning. Craig and Sarah Marshall, are you here? Where are you at? There you are. Can you stand up for just a moment? We have Craig and Sarah Marshall. They're, they're a couple of our missionaries. They work with Wycliffe. And you are actually leaving this week for three months to go to Indonesia to go and continue the translation of the Bible for an indigenous people out there. And so if you would just extend a hand right now, we want to pray over them before we dive in this morning. Father God, I'm so grateful that you have called this couple to devote themselves to helping others uh, have access to scriptures in their language. God, we pray that you would go with them as they head out to Indonesia. We pray that you would um, open doors. We pray for their team that's been working out there on the translation that they will be connecting with and continuing to work with. We pray for discernment in the word choices knowing that you know how it will best be articulated for people who don't have the Bible at this point. So we pray for, your, for discernment. And we pray, God, that you would come behind them as they leave family and relationships here in the States to go and be there for three months. Would you protect uh, and guide and direct in every way possible, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. All right. Thank you that you are here. We're grateful for that. Um, one other thing I just really want to make sure that you get with the missional pathway. <clears throat> And that is, uh, we, we believe that this will be radical in helping to unlock what God has created you to do. And even to be, open your eyes, as Jimmy was saying, it, it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. It's not information. It's not like, hey, we just want to give you biblical information. What you're getting kind of opened up to is how God has been working in your life throughout your lifetime. How he's been working different values into your heart. And, and how he has given you passions that he's inviting you to join him in, in working those things out moving forward. And so we believe that this will be really, really helpful in helping you kind of become the crew members that we long for you to be. Remember, we, we talk about the fact that we are not a cruise ship. We're a clipper ship. A cruise ship is all about entertaining you and feeding you and just taking care of you. You just sit there. We'll take care of everything. And we're not that kind of, of a community. We're a clipper ship that says every single person that calls Lighthouse home is a crew member. So get up out your deck chair and join us in what we're doing and bring the unique skills, talents, and abilities that God has given to you to do what he's calling us to do. And this will help you to take that step of getting up out of your deck chair and joining us. Because it's such an investment of your time and because we believe that it is so important for you to do that, we just wanted to remove every barrier for, from that. And so part of it is just saying, hey, we're going to put our money where our mouth is and say, we want to cover half the cost. We're not making a penny off of this. We are actually going to say, hey, we're going to invest a lot of the resources God has given us to make sure that you do this. And as Jimmy was saying, there's only space for about 75 people. Obviously, there's a lot more than 75 people in this room. And our hope is that all of you would participate, which is why we're doing two rounds of Awaken and Activate. So that all of you who want to participate in this, and I hope that it's all of you in this room, all of you will be able to engage. And so we already sent an email to you. And if you get those emails, great. It has the links to sign up right there. If you did not get that email, 
Perhaps it's because we have your wrong email or we don't have your email at all. And so on your connection card, if you didn't get the email and you would like to sign up, please on your connection card, give us your name, give us your email address. And this week, Jeannie will make sure you get it so that you get the link to sign up. And when you sign up through that email, it's 50% off. It's $25 for the first two steps instead of $50. All right. So that's that. Let's go ahead and dive in. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter one. We are in the second week of a series that we're calling Life on Purpose because the goal of our life is that we don't want to just kind of haphazardly stumble through it. We want to live our life on purpose, and part of that is discerning God's unique call for our life. Last week, we began this exploration with the question of what is our purpose in life? What are we here for? And although every faith system, every philosophy has an answer to that question, the Bible answers that question in the very first chapter. Down in verse 26 of chapter 1, we read, God said, let us, remember we just sang about our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. So God speaking into the community that is the Godhead said, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. Go to verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. From the very outset, we see that God... Who, create, who spoke the world into existence and then began to bring order to it, created us to be his image bearers. And that word, Salem, image bearer, carries a whole lot more weight than just that we look like him, right? Because a lot of us look very, very different. And yet we are all reflections of our Father God. We are called to be his royal representatives in creation, ruling as his partners, But that word rule is interesting because when's the last time any of us used that as as a verb for what you were doing? Hey, what are you doing? I'm just ruling over some email right now. (laughs) When I'm done here, I'm going to go rule over a burrito. You want to come with me, right? (laughs) We don't use that language. So then, of course, this, this begs the question, well, what does that mean to live as his image bearers ruling over his creation? Thankfully, Scripture goes on to explain it. Let's keep going into verse 28. God blessed them, the male and female that God had created. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. This verse, verse 28, is what theologians refer to as the creation mandate. Because as we will see as we dive into it this morning... God is mandating humans, his image bearers, to go carve culture out of the raw materials that is his creation that he's called into being. We get to join him in that task. Because we've seen that that's kind of how God began the whole thing, right? I mean, at the very beginning, at the very outset of of the gospel or of, of the Genesis account, We see God speak the world into existence, ex nihilo, everything out of nothing. In one great big bang of creation. And then 
He begins to bring order to the chaos. He begins to, over those six days, take this world that is formless and void. You remember the, the word in Hebrew? It's so fun. Tohu wabohu. Everybody say, tohu wabohu. Formless and void. It is just like a whole stack of Legos that you dumped onto the ground. And he says, okay, let me make something out of it. And he begins to bring order to the chaos. And then he created human beings to join him in bringing that order to the chaos, to, to carve culture out of creation. Well, how do we do that? What exactly does it mean to join him in ruling over and bring order out of creation? Verse 28 gives us a couple of things, two major things that we will, we will lean into this morning. The first is to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. And then the second part is to subdue it and to rule over it. Let's, let's take each of those things individually. Let's begin with this mandate to be fruitful and multiply. At its most literal reading, that means to have some children. To raise another generation and another generation and another generation after that. And what we realize at the very outset is that God has a very high view of child rearing. And and it's not simply, I mean, it is, it is a tremendously exhausting part of our call, but it is a lot of work to raise children. For those of you who are parents, you understand this, right? Because I've got two of them right now, a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old that are way too much like me. And so they are exhausting because they are active and they are, they have opinions of their own, Dag Nabbit, and, and they have free will. So they just do what they're going to do. And they just, they, they're like systematically wrecking everything we own. And they're worth every moment and every headache and every time we have to repeat ourselves for the dozenth time. No, don't touch that. It will hurt. I told you it would hurt you. They're worth it. Because they are so radically full of latent potential. They're, they're like little adults in utero. That are in the process. They're almost in their larval stage right now. And, we, and we, Kathy and I have the opportunity to help unfold them into the men that God has created them to be. But thankfully, we're not called to do this alone. And for those of you who are not parents yourself, or perhaps you have been parents, but your kids have grown up and have become adults and now have kids of their own, and they've flown the coop, and you have an empty home, and you're going, this is great, but what part do I have to play in this creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply? You have a huge part in this. Because we have a church that has been blessed with lots of little adults in the making. We have over 30 of them across the street right now. And there are a ton of parents who are sitting beside you who feel overwhelmed. And in many ways are feeling like, I don't have the slightest clue what I'm doing. And I feel like I'm wrecking my kids. And you get to come alongside them and go, we did too. And it's okay because there's grace. And you're not, you're doing a great job and we're walking with you. The reason Kat and I chose Lighthouse is because we were hungry to find a community that would help us in raising our children. That with a thriving youth ministry and thriving families ministry that would come alongside with people that they could call brother and sister that aren't blood related in the sense that they're not from our nuclear family, although we're related by the blood of Jesus, that we would all be walking and pouring into them together. 
And that's what we found here at Lighthouse. And that's why I'm so grateful for the community that we have because we are not raising our boys into men alone. That said, if, if the whole point of the cultural mandate was for God simply to say, hey, be fruitful and multiply, make babies, he probably wouldn't need to command that. It kind of happens naturally, right? Especially when this was first penned in a day and age where finding um, you know, birth control was pretty difficult. So that's going to happen. But what is he actually getting at? You have to go on because the, the very next thing he says helps us understand what he means by being fruitful and multiply. Increase in number, fill the earth. Now, this is the key term, fill the earth. Because what he means here is that he's not just talking about one family having some kids. He's not after some, an ancient version of Swiss family Robinson. He wants families and families and families to begin to grow and proliferate and spread. And as those families connect together, they create society. And they begin living together and they create cities out of the raw materials that God has given them. And they fill the earth, which leads to the second part of this creation mandate, to subdue it, to rule over it. Now, the word subdue in Hebrew is a fun one. It's the word um, kibosh, from which we get the term, get, put the kibosh on it, right? It means to control, to bring order to take something that's wild and unruly and put the kibosh on it, kind of get it under control. Well, what is he referring to when he says we need to subdue or, or kibosh this? He's talking about his creation, which insinuates that God's creation is inherently wild and untamed. And he's inviting his representatives to join him in bringing order to the chaos that is his creation. It's funny, when I think of... Um, Adam and Eve, and where God places them in the garden, I tend to think of this utopian, pristine garden, kind of like the Huntington Library up in Pasadena, or maybe uh, Central Park in New York, a, a, a place where the trees are beautifully manicured, and they're surrounded by nice, big, manicured lawns with neat little paths that run through them. But that's not the reality of, of what... God made when he created creation, when he spoke it into existence, it was tohu wabohu. It was formless and void. And he spent the next six days bringing some orders that he just began the process. Okay. I want to have the land over here and I want the sea to be over here and I want the sky to be up there. And I want to put the sun at this time of day and the moon over here so that there's light during both of those times and to kind of designate day and night. I want some birds up in the sky. I want fish to be in the sea. And I want animals to be along the ground. And then he invites humanity to join him in bringing that order into his creation. Of course, that, that begs the question, well, what does that look like? How do we bring order? How do we subdue and rule over God's creation? Genesis chapter 1 provides kind of a, an airplane view of the creation narrative. It gives a, a breath, breath, breakneck kind of overview. And then in chapter 2, it zeroes in on day 6, the day that God created humanity. So let's jump to, to day 6 in chapter 2. 
We're going to begin in verse 4. So this is a retelling, almost kind of like you've, you've taken the binoculars and you've zeroed in on one particular point, and that is the formation of humanity, because now we're going to dive deeper into the creation mandate and see what it means to subdue and rule over God's creation. Verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent the rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. I love this picture of humanity being formed out of the, you know, kind of corruptible dust of the ground and the divine breath of God, because no other creature is formed in this way. Again, reiterating our unique identity as image bearers, our our unique dignity. We are radically different from the rest of creation. He got his hands dirty to make us. Verse 8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And that word Eden means delight. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's skip down to verse 15 because this is the verse we're really going for. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of delight to work it and take care of it. What I hope that you will see here is that God did not form our most ancient ancestors. He didn't form his image bearers simply to sit back and enjoy creation. Simply to sit around some pond with a a coconut in their hand, sipping from that, contemplating their lack of a navel. He created them to join him in working and taking care of his creation. Let's, let's look at both of those words, to work and to take care of. The word a work is a really interesting one in Hebrew. It's abad. It's most often translated work, but elsewhere it's translated to serve or, and this is my favorite translation, to worship. For instance, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 9, verse 1, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go that they might worship the Lord their God. And the word worship is abad, the same word that we get for work. So in some sense, the work of our hands is an act of worshiping God. When we join him in what he, we, he created us to do, we are in some sense worshiping him. We'll, we'll dive deeper into that in a couple of weeks. But what exactly does it mean To work God's planet. To work the earth. I love the way that um, another pastor put it. Can we throw it up on the board here? He he says it this way. To work is to rearrange. Nope, go back. There we go. There we go. To work is to rearrange the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Let me say that one more time. Work is rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular 
to thrive and to flourish. It's to take the raw matter that God spoke into existence. And just like he did for six days, we begin to bring order to the chaos. We begin to move the world forward. We leave our own unique stamp on it. Now, I skipped a part of of Genesis 2 that probably when you read it, you tend to skip or at least gloss over. And that's verse 10 to 14. Let me read this for a moment. Verse 10. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold in that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. You read that, and if you're like me, you probably read that and go, why is that even there? We're talking about God forming humanity, and all of a sudden we're talking about the name of rivers and where they go. And who cares that the gold in the land of Havilah is is really good gold and that they have aromatic resin and onyx there too? Why does that matter? Until you begin to recognize what God has created us to do. He's created us to take the raw materials like gold and onyx, and resin, and trees, and rivers, and to make something of them, to use those raw materials. And we see this every day. We see it play out. When, when a farmer takes seed, and dirt, and water, and sunlight, and together he uses those things to grow a crop that he can feed multitudes with. Or when a, a, a construction worker takes wood and bits of metal and together he fashions it into a home that a family can live in. Or when a teacher takes children and information and, and he introduces them to that information in such a way that it expands their understanding of the world and helps them to mature. This is work that moves the world forward. When... Uh, When an architect takes geometry and creativity and creates space that people can gather in. Right, Tim? When when a, a graphic designer takes words and color and pictures and fashions a vision that people can get behind and go, yeah. I want to have a ramp at this church. That would be really helpful for all the people that are coming, right? When, uh, to translate a vision. When, let's see. I mean, there's so many ways that we take the raw materials. Alini, here's one for you. When, when, when a, a designer takes cloth and bits of metal and plastic and brings them together to create clothes that not only keep us warm, but help us to kind of you know, tell the world, this is what I'm like and I want to express myself and we get beautiful clothes. These are all some ways that we take the world forward. We take the raw materials and we bring our own creativity and we make our stamp on the world and we move it forward. Does that make sense? These are just a couple of examples of how we abode, how we work, how we worship our God. But that's the first word. The second word is a really helpful one because it it acts as a a way of limiting or, or clarifying what he means by working the world. Because he says, not only are we to work the world, but we are to take care of it. 
Now, that word in Hebrew is shamar. And it's tremendously important because what it means is that we are to protect, defend, guard God's good creation. We are not simply to, what it tells us is that we're not simply to use the world any which way we want for our own benefit. We are called to be stewards of his creation and help it to move forward, not take advantage of it. And when we strip mine, when we deforest his planet to make a buck, we are disrespecting God's creation. We are not working and caring for it. We are simply... Uh, denuding and destroying it. And there's a lot of ways we see this play out. For instance, when, when we poison entire ecosystems through runoff on chemical waste in the name of progress, that is using and abusing God's creation. When we take advantage of workers in developing worlds to benefit first world corporations, that is not caring for God's creation. Or for his image bearers. When we use predatory sales practices to prey upon people's naivete to make a buck. Right? When you in your business are told if you want to have a job here, you will, you will sell them on this thing. Even you, though you would never buy it yourself because you know it's garbage. But you got to push it. I had a friend who used to work for one of the large banking, uh, one of the largest banks in America. And he worked in the call center and was told, you must push these extras that people don't need, but we make money on. So you will push them and you have a quota. And if you don't meet your quota, you're out. And he had to make a decision. Do I push something that I know people don't need? Or, you know, do I go find another job or, or live on the streets? It's a hard decision sometimes. When the strong... Use the weak and the defenseless to advance their own interests, whether that's to score political points like we saw in New York a couple weeks ago, and that grieved my heart. Or when people take advantage of weak people selling their body, whether that's to create pornography or, or prostitution or simply to benefit by other people's weakness and the strong use them that is doing damage to God's creation. That is not working and making the world a more garden-like place. That's making it hell on earth. And, and my particular uh, biggest egregious one is when you take words and notes and you create country western music. <laughs> God grieves. Or maybe that's just me. These are just a few of the examples of the abuses that God's image bearers heap upon his good creation in the name of working it, but we forget to take care of it. Sorry, Bill. I know. I know. I know. Thank you for not cutting off the mic right now. I appreciate that. Um, and it not, it, here's the thing. It doesn't only harm creation and it doesn't only harm God's image bearers. It actually is caustic to our own soul. It is damaging to us. I, I remember last year, my buddy, Chris, who works in the movie industry, he's a key grip. So he, he works with the lighting. 
Um, he was hired for a job to make a movie up in Hollywood. And at first he was excited because he was going to get his union hours and stuff and he really needed to get them. And when he got up there, he realized that the movie he was asked to work on was nothing but pornographic drivel. And it was, it was so hard to have conversation with him over the course of those, that month that he was working on that movie because I go, Hey, how's it going? He's like, man, I just hope this thing never sees the light of day. Right. It's just not redeeming in any way. And yet, he he had to pay bills, right? And so he's stuck in this, this predicament of saying, do I work on something that I know does not benefit the earth? In fact, I think it's harmful, not only to the people who are working on it, but to the people who will consume it. Or do I survive? And we may not be asked... To, um, I mean, we may not work in the movie industry, so we may never actually have any hand in making something that could be caustic. But when we pay our money to go see it, we promote it. Or you may never be involved in employing a child in a sweatshop in a third world nation who has worked like a slave, but you promote that when you purchase things online that were created. And sold at a much lower cost because they were, they were used, they, they used children and they used slave labor to make it. So in the most real sense, we vote with our pocketbook and we need to consider those things, but that's not really the focus of this morning. That's simply a wake up call that we need to be serious, conscious consumers. But when it comes to the work of our hands, the things that we are doing, Each of us must ask ourselves, we need to step back and say, hey, does this make the world a more garden-like place? Is what I am giving myself to, whether that be something you're paid for as a career or a job, or simply what you're doing with your free time, does this make the world a better place? Or does it actually harm God's creation? Does it harm God's creatures, his image bearers? And if the answer is yes, it is harmful, then you have some soul searching to do about whether or not you continue to give yourself to that or whether you need to go find another line of business or go find another employer that won't demand things of you that are harmful to others because it preys upon their naivete. Those are some hard conversations that you need to have. But here's the point that I want us to to, to get this morning more than anything. We are God's image bearers and we were created to move his creation forward. And I continue to use that language to move God's creation forward because we as humanity were formed and placed in a place called Eden. But the world got jacked up because of sin, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks. The world is not necessarily as as beautiful and pristine as God originally intended it. But when you get to the end of the Bible, we've been focused on the beginning, but when you get to the end of the Bible, the last two chapters after Jesus comes back, kicks Satan out, refurbishes the world and brings the new Jerusalem down to earth, all of a sudden you start in chapters 21 and chapters 22, you begin to get Eden language again. We, we read about the New Jerusalem where there is a river that runs right through the middle of it. 
And the, the tree of life is, is planted all along it that bears fruit. And that God is right there living with his image bearers in lockstep, working together to move the world forward. And it is a place that is completely devoid of, of, of the ramifications of sin, like brokenness and pain and, and tears of, of sorrow and death. All of those things are gone. So in many ways, the end of the Bible sounds a whole stinking lot like the beginning two chapters of the Bible. It's Eden language, but it's different in one major respect. Whereas the first two chapters of Genesis describe a garden where Adam and Eve reside. The final two chapters describe a garden city with walls and buildings and streets and and gathering places. The world has gone someplace. It did not remain static. And the beautiful message of the Bible is that we as his image bearers get to join him in taking it from the Garden of Eden to the city of Eden, to the new Jerusalem, to the place that we will get to spend eternity with him. We have a part to play in that. And in, next week especially, we're going to lean heavily into the unique part that you have been called to play vocationally in bringing God's creation forward. But a couple of final closing thoughts before we get out of here this morning. Number one, when you wake up tomorrow and you prepare to do whatever it is that you find to do, whether it's to get your kids off to school or clean your home or go to work or go and serve somewhere where you volunteer or just to kind of be available to whatever God has Keep this in mind. You are not simply a hamster running on a wheel, aimlessly going nowhere as quickly as you can. You're a child of God. You are an image bearer, and you have been created to join God, to partner with him in moving this world forward, to take it somewhere. To those parents in this room, as you continue to pour into your children or to the grandparents in here, as you continue to spoil your grandchildren rotten, or to those who are teachers in this room, who are investing in our kids, in our future, or to those of you who simply are loving on other people's kids, you are playing a part in, in helping the creation mandate come to pass that, you would be, that we would be fruitful and multiply and we are filling the world up with conscientious image bearers who are mature and capable of bringing what God has worked into them to, part, to play in the game. And finally, you are not your job. You are not retired. You are not a student You are not simply a a worker or a volunteer. You are a modern-day Adam and Eve. And this world all around us is what's left of the garden. And we get to join with our Father in caring for it and working it as an act of worship. So let's get to work, shall we? Father God, I am so grateful um, that you use imperfect people like us to to partner with you in caring for your world. 
and moving it forward. God, I pray for greater clarity for each of us, that we, as we wake up tomorrow, would walk into, that, into what we have in front of us with a, a renewed sense of purpose, that we are joining you, we're partnering with you in rearranging the materials of this world and making it better in some small way, even if it's for one other person. God, would you shine brightly through us? Holy Spirit, would you guide us and empower us so that we can be your representatives? Be glorified in us, I pray, God, because it is for you that we work as an act of worship. Jesus, in your holy name, amen.